Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. Well, the election hasn't just taken hold of the U.S. It's also grabbed the attention of people across the globe. President Trump has garnered plenty of critics for his treatment of migrants and denial of climate change, as well as earned him some ardent supporters drawn to his tough guy persona. Biden's long political resume gives him mixed reviews abroad as well. Joining us to talk about how the rest of the world views this election and America's reputation overseas, we're joined by Ishan Tharoor, foreign affairs columnist at the Washington Post and author of Today's Worldview, the Post's international politics newsletter. Thanks so much for joining us, Ishan Tharoor. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Cressy Twig, a reporter for BBC Monitoring. Thanks so much, Cressy Twig, for joining us as well. Thank you. Nice to be here. So, Ishan Tharoor, I'm going to start with you. I mean, we've seen in recent surveys that Europeans do not approve of Trump so much. Would you say that that is where antipathy toward Trump or maybe a Trump victory is strongest? I think indeed Europe, especially the countries in Western Europe that we consider the traditional allies of the United States, uh, France, Germany, uh, to a certain extent, the UK, uh, and so on. Uh, These are countries where, as you said, opinion polls show really astonishingly low ratings for the American president and where uh, the emergence of Trumpism on the world stage has posed a bunch of uh, nervous questions uh, for politicians in these countries as well about the future of the transatlantic relationship Mm -hmm. and about the future of their own democracies as well. If you see the United States moving in a certain direction, it certainly has a certain kind of impact uh, if you're a democracy very closely linked to the U.S., But I think if there's one country where uh, there is perhaps the most antipathy towards Trump, uh, you could single out, say, Iran, which has experienced a huge degree of economic pain specifically brought on by the Trump administration. Yes, I, I've been really quite fascinated by how Iran has basically been Uh, talking about the election in its media. I mean, Cressy Twig, can you shed some light on basically how they're they're saying that they don't really care what the outcome is of this particular election, but as Ishan Theroux is pointing out, it doesn't sound like that's true. Uh, well, I, I think that's right. And um, uh, I mean, the leaders of the country are at pains always to point out that they really don't care because it really doesn't matter which individual uh, comes to the White House. It's always to be it's always to be going to be bad for, for Iran. But just just on the uh, media note, um, there has been incredible attention to detail in the uh, Iranian uh, state media coverage uh, of the U.S. election to the point that Officials may say it doesn't really matter hugely, but if the media is paying paying such close attention and 
One example of this was uh, when the first uh, presidential, uh, the, pers the first debate happened between the two contenders at the end of uh, September. Um, the state uh, state TV uh, channels uh, basically focused so heavily uh, their ticker, just their ticker line was almost at the expense of all other stories, um, saying you know with quotes from both candidates what they said. Uh, and at one point, uh, just to illustrate things uh, for the viewers, it was. Uh, a line in brackets saying, and Trump, President Trump, took out a mask just to show that he is wearing a mask. So yes, there is a lot of attention. Um, everything has been followed very closely. There is a little bit of nuance with um, the hardliners uh, insisting for the most part, that there's little difference between between both of it, uh, between most be, sorry, between uh, both candidates, and uh, on the other hand, you have the the moderate and reformist outlets who are um, cautiously optimistic that actually a Biden presidency could bring in a new chapter in relations between the two countries and return um, to the nuclear deal, even if it means um, making some concessions in return for sanctions relief. Hmm. Well, Ishan Perror, another nation that's been sort of subtle or not so clear in terms of their preference, though it may be masking a preference, is China. Can you talk about uh, what the U.S. election means for China and how they're managing it and talking about it in that country? Sure. I mean, th this is looming over our entire election cycle, this question of who China wants to see uh, come to power in January. Uh, um, has really, uh, it, it's been a, a, a political talking point for both Trump and uh, Joe Biden. You've seen Trump say that, oh, uh, China is desperate for someone uh, like Biden to come in, to be soft again, quote unquote, uh, on, on Beijing. Whereas uh, the Biden argument, and, and we have seen reporting, and it's, of course, China's a very opaque political system, but uh, there has been some pretty good reporting from correspondents there talking to people close to uh, the upper echelons of the Chinese Communist Party, that suggests that uh, obviously there's a, a view in China that no matter who wins, and this is not that dissimilar from what Krasi was saying about Iran, that no matter who wins, uh, Washington is going to be taking a rather tough line on the regime there, on the Chinese government. Um, there's a, the one kind of bit of bipartisan consensus you see in Washington these days is around is around a kind of anti-Chinese feeling. And so there's the sense that, you know, we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't with either of them. And to a certain extent, in that case, and you've, you've seen a bunch of reports suggesting this, there is a view among some of the Chinese leadership that it's preferable to have someone like Trump in office because not only has he taken a wrecking ball approach to international diplomacy and specifically to US-China relations, but he has undermined alliances elsewhere as well made other countries in Asia that have counted on the U.S. Uh, a bit wary of unpredictable U.S. behavior and has created vacuums in various contexts for China to play a more robust and muscular role on the world stage, specifically, say, in international organizations like the U.N., the WHO, and so on. So I think the, prevail the, the there's no consensus view on, on who Beijing prefers, but the stronger argument from on there coming from there is that a Trump administration may do them nicely. Yeah, so interesting. So it's not so much Cressy Twig that uh, Trump is well liked in China, but they like him in power for strategic reasons. A very complicated relationship, no? 
It is actually quite complicated. Actually, we've, um, it has to be said, just like with, with Iran and Russia, you know, the, the leaders are very careful not to state their, their preferences for, for either candidates. We get a sense, however, that, um, you know, but we, we are also monitoring uh, social media on China. We get a sense that, um, Trump, Trump really isn't um, isn't the one that China would like to see uh, in the White House. Simply, uh, and that has been that has become particularly the case um, because of uh, his handling of the coronavirus pandemic, and because of all the anti-China rhetoric. You know, the yes. the, the Wuhan virus, uh, and that has really really rattled the nation. Uh, and and you see in in state media how um, um, Biden. Uh, and, and how quotes from Biden saying that actually it's not Russia, it's not China interfering in the U.S. election, it's Russia. This is uh, who we need to blame, uh, leave China alone. That has been very keenly highlighted by state media as well. So you do ah. get a sense that it's going to be a tough relationship. Yes, we have more with Krasi Twig of the BBC and Ishan Thoreau of Washington Post right after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Like Americans, the world is looking at the U.S. presidential election right now with expectation and anxiety. And I want to invite you, our listeners, to join the conversation. We want to hear from you. What are you hearing from family and friends in other countries about the U.S. election? What U.S. relationships with other nations are you watching closely? And how has the Trump administration influenced America's reputation abroad these last four years? You can share your thoughts at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. We're talking with Ishan Theroar foreign affairs columnist at the Washington Post and author of today's Worldview, the Post's international politics newsletter, and Cressy Twig, a reporter with the BBC, BBC Monitoring. Uh, Davey writes, obviously there's tremendous support for Trump abroad. In what countries is this support located? I mean, yes, Ishan Theroar, where is he most well-liked or who would like to see him in power most for strategic reasons? I think the, to answer both those questions, I think the, the clear top runner is Israel. Uh, Trump, the Trump administration and Trump himself has really set his stall on on attempting a kind of realignment in the Middle East that's in, in what his view is in, in Israel's interest. And that's a set of interests that also dovetail with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who has been a very close and firm and fast friend to Trump. The Trump administration has really dismantled decades of of existing uh, bipartisan U.S. administration policy on the Israel-Palestinian issue uh, by sort of predetermining a lot of major uh, issues up for negotiation and final status talks between the Israelis and Palestinians, whether it's the status of Jerusalem um, to a whole range of other issues. And, and, and then you've seen, of course, that the Trump administration has pushed forward this, this idea of an anti-Iran axis in the region 
it's, it's compelled governments like the UAE and Bahrain to normalize ties with Israel. So for all of this, uh, there's a tremendous amount of, of support and pleasure with what the U.S. has been done for Israel mm. uh, over the last few years. And presumably going forward, uh, Israelis see four more years of Trump as another accelerant in, in, in changing the kind of geopolitical map of the Middle East in, 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 a, in, a, in, a, in a direction they like. So then it stands to reason, Ishan Theroy, that I guess a transfer of power to Biden, should that come to pass, would have the biggest reverberations there, you think? Just really felt consequences. That's much harder to tell because mm. the uh, in the existing American approach toward Israel uh, was 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 doing the Israelis just fine as well. I mean, they have put very little pressure on Israel. This is the Obama administration to uh, make the concessions necessary to uh, start a, to restart a meaningful peace process with the Palestinians, and and then at the same time, yes. Uh, the Israelis were deeply unhappy with the Obama administration's overtures toward Iran. But what we're seeing right now is that if Biden comes to power uh, and you have a democratic uh, uh, administration, that reviving the Iranian nuclear deal is, is hardly a fait accompli. Uh, so to a certain extent, I think the, the governments that may be most relieved by the return of uh, a kind of a more liberal uh, administration would probably be the ones we began talking about, the governments in Europe, partially because, yes, Biden represents a certain kind of restoration of American leadership in the West. But I think on some really key issues, and I think the biggest one is climate change, um, there are real fears that four more years of a Trump administration on the world stage, uh, denying climate science, uh, impeding global efforts to really build a more robust uh, uh, regime to curb emissions is going to hurt the planet. I'm struck. Well, just going back to the Middle East quickly, um, Krasi Twig, you had done some reporting about how you were hearing in media in some Middle East and Gulf states an attempt to resurrect emails from the Clinton email leaks of 2016. Could you first comment on that quickly? That's right. That was uh, that was a weird episode because at first they were presented as new uh, leaks uh, of, of Hillary Clinton emails, and once we had a closer look, it turned out that these are from the same batch that were released uh, four years ago. So why why did they start um, talking about these leaks right now? Well, uh, if we're talking about Gulf media and Egyptian media in particular, and you basically. The name Joe Biden didn't figure, didn't wasn't present anywhere in those emails. But there was a lot of criticism for Hillary Clinton. There was a lot of criticism for Barack Obama and the foreign policies, and basically the scrutiny uh, that these countries received under Barack Obama. Of course, Joe Biden's name is not mentioned, and this is what you can deduct that this is an indirect. Um, indirect criticism for him that if he becomes a president, he will bring back the same kind of scrutiny. And the kind of scrutiny we're talking about, we're talking about, uh, you know, human rights issues, dictatorships, you know, uh, in the case of Egypt, we've seen uh, many, uh, recently many uh, social media stars uh, being detained, TikTok stars over, uh, you know, promoting immorality and prostitution and, and that kind of things. So, there is there is a fear 
that there will be harder scrutiny. And of course, Egypt is uh, the second largest recipient of uh, US military aid after Israel. Would that be made conditional? to upholding uh, the, these standards. And there was, you might remember uh, when Trump kind of jokingly at the G7 summit made a, a remark about General Sisi and said, oh, he was waiting for him and said, where's my favorite dictator? And that cost that was reported, I think, by the Washington Post as well, it was widely picked up. And that caused astonishment. So uh, countries like Egypt would very much like to maintain the status quo. And this is this is why we think these um, leaks, Hillary Clinton emails leaks have resurfaced again. But then, Krasi Twig, to Ishan Tharoor's second point about Western Europe. So if Trump were to be given another four years, I mean, what are the fears and the effect, really, the fear of the effect of what I guess would be perceived as a validation of his treatment of Western Europe and, and traditional alliances? Um, I think that's that's absolutely correct. And it's, it's probably fair to say that the biggest fear um, in in uh, in Western Europe, from what we have seen uh, from media in in Germany and France and and other countries, uh, is that this will be the end of the transatlantic alliance. Uh, and this this started before before Trump probably, but it became particularly bad, particularly with uh, Trump's threat to pull uh, the U.S. out of NATO. Um, Europe is very worried about that because it has its own, it has to protect its own border. It feels that it's alone at the moment uh, with America leaving it on its own and also America leaving it to be, um, it, it feels almost that it's it's the only place on earth now that it will uh, protect the Western liberal values. Um, and so, yes, there's, there's a feeling that uh, President Trump uh, views this uh, this alliance, this friendship, just in term, just in uh, in transactional terms. It's it's just about money and nothing else. So that is that is very disappointing. And the fear is that four more years uh, of Trump in the White House would certainly um, consolidate that and will uh, will bring the two sides further apart than they have ever been. Again, we're talking with Crassie Twig of BBC Monitoring and Ishan Theroux of The Washington Post. We're talking about how the rest of the world is viewing the U.S. election and taking your questions. Again, 866-733-6786 is the number to call, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. What are you hearing from family and friends in other countries about what they think of the U.S. election? What are the alliances or the adversaries I guess that you're most concerned about with regard to how things will play out as a result of this presidential election. This listener asks, how does the U.S. response to coronavirus play in how people are evaluating Trump's performance? I mean, Ijan Theroux, this is, of course, truly a, a global uh, pandemic where the relationship with the U.S. is so important and how the U.S. is behaving is so important. I mean, I think uh, absolutely the coronavirus and the, the ways in which these governments have grappled or not so successfully grappled with the pandemic uh, is, is a defining uh, matter for people's views of other countries around the world. Uh, and you saw how uh, at the same time, you know, I, I, no one in Europe can really uh, gloat about or, or sort of really pity America given what we're seeing right now happening in Europe. 
there are some places in the world that have managed the virus incredibly well. Uh, those are primarily countries in East Asia, countries that, you know, like Taiwan and South Korea that have for decades their the U.S. security umbrella. They're the ones now really setting, leading the line when it comes to showing how democracies can, can deal with this virus. I think, uh, and I'm sure Krasi has comments on this as well, uh, Trump's rhetoric about the China virus, the Wuhan plague and so on, has played rather negatively in China. Uh, it's been picked up by among nationalist populations elsewhere, say in India. Uh, but uh, the, I, think, I think by and large, the view of Trump has been so polarized and so negative for so long that the the way he has handled coronavirus has only just been seen as an extension of a rather unorthodox presidency. Well, Tony writes, I have several friends and family members in Sweden. They feel sorry for us, think Trump is crazy, and are awaiting election results with as much anticipation and anxiety as we are. I mean, Crassy Twig, I have to say some of my Canadian friends are the same way. I almost feel a sense of pity when they talk with me about the situation here. Is that something that you've also seen? I know, yes, we we are noticing this and actually talking about China, as, as Ishan said, uh, it very much started in the beginning uh, with a lot of glee from from Chinese from Chinese users, you know, on social media saying, well, let's see America, let's see how you're dealing now with the virus since you were so critical of us. And then this this just gradually became turned into just genuine concern. And there was genuine concern for uh, Chinese uh, people in America and, and how they would feel with this anti-Chinese rhetoric coming from the president of the country. There was genuine concern about about Americans having having to deal with this and how their president is is dealing or not dealing um, well with with the crisis. So there's very much um, there's very there's there's genuine sympathy I would say on social media from from Chinese users and many other places uh, around the world. We're talking about how the rest of the world is viewing the U.S. election. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Robert writes. When other countries used to look up to the U.S., we sent election observer missions overseas. Now the need is in the other direction. Why are we not embarrassed? Ishan Thoreau, I think Robert's point gets to sort of this bigger question of the status of the U.S. I mean, I know that uh, we were sort of waning uh, to some degree, right, as a nation, and that preceded Trump. But how do you think the status, the reputation of the U.S. overseas has changed in the last four years? I think the world sees a country that's bitterly divided that is creaking under aging infrastructures, whether it's the health system or their actual roads, that is uh, now in a situation where it has an archaic electoral system that delivers a very that, that could deliver a very confusing and 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 uh, chaotic result. Uh, and so you're seeing a whole you know there's this very uh, famous Kenyan cartoonist who recently tweeted out, uh, an incredible satire of an African Union observer mission going to the U.S. now, and and and, and yes, absolutely, we are seeing uh, what happens when uh, once robust democracy uh, is buckling under various pressures to its system, to an aging system, and 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 when we talk about foreign interference, of course, 2016, the whole past four years of the Trump presidency 
has been shadowed to a certain degree by this question of what, how countries can undermine our elections here. Uh, first of all, uh, the U.S. is doing a great job on its own, and especially the White House, in undermining credibility in this election by calling into doubt uh, absentee voting and so on. And secondly, and this is what a host of national security experts suggest, uh, we're seeing a situation where the best outcome for, say, the Kremlin or Beijing uh, is not necessarily one president beating the other, but um, an outcome that could happen, which is uh, a contested result, weeks or months of political paralysis and crisis, and further concerns about the U.S.'s ability to project its values and its clout uh, over the world stage. And in some ways, you've answered Ron's question, which nations like Trump because he can cause damage to the U.S.? Um, well, this listener writes, President Trump tweeted a video today of a parade for him in Nigeria. And Pew Research suggests 58% of people in Nigeria say they have confidence in Trump. Why does Trump have such strong support in Nigeria? Do you have any thoughts on this, Cressy Twig? I suspect a lot of it uh, would be coming from uh, from Nigerian Christians, really. But I have I have noticed that um, there is uh, there is support uh, there is support for for Trump in in Nigeria, and this is this is despite um, all the criticism that um, uh, America received um, uh, during the Black Black Lives Matter protests, for example. Um, so it is it is one of those old old things you can't quite connect but yes there there, there is there is definitely support mm. but would you may i return to another point i wanted Please. to make just on the previous question about the 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 which candidate you know which countries we want which candidate i think um a bigger a much bigger issue here uh, especially for countries like china and russia they're not so much focusing on the presidential horse race and that really is a, a secondary issue but the main issue really is what about American democracy? Where would that leave American democracy? And the fact that American democracy has been weakened. This is a major theme. Yes. Uh, and um, and this is why, by the way, Russia, if you look at pro-Kremlin media, it almost appears they're really rooting for Trump. I mean, they they went the RT, the, the international uh, facing broadcaster uh, has gone all guns blazing um, for 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 Joe Biden, uh, particularly in the last few days. I mean, it's not it's not a secret they have been uh, very uh, pro Trump, not the leaders, but the pro Kremlin media. Uh, and again, why is that? Is it because they like Trump? Well, probably not. It's precisely because Trump has taken a wrecking ball to the status quo. He is the uh, he was being being presented as the anti-establishment hero. He doesn't like the status quo that Russia doesn't like, you know. Um, he has undermined, you know, democratic values and checks and balances and things like that, that um, the Kremlin doesn't like. So when they see America low, they think, oh, Russia, Russia is great. So this is this is the main message. Um, and it's also the message that um, American democracy um, is, is failing. Uh, American America is in chaos. America is devouring itself. And these are all phrases uh, they're using. Um, and America is in no position uh, to preach to the world how to be and how to behave. But the question remains, will the outcome of the election, if for some reason people see that acceleration related to Trump, whether 
a Biden victory, should that come to pass, would actually change it? I mean, I assume that's what you're watching, Ishan Theroux. We just have 10 seconds left. Well, I think Biden would hopefully believe that he can change it. There are some who do, but fundamentally, the U.S. has a lot of work to do at home and foreign policy in the next four years may take a backseat. Lots to think about. Ishan Theroux of The Washington Post, thanks so much for talking with us. And Cressy Twig of the BBC, thanks so much as well for giving us just a sense of how the world is viewing, anticipating, interpreting our U.S. election. Thanks to Blanca Torres for producing this segment and to our listeners for their questions and comments. I'm Mina Kim. You're listening to Forum. Happy Election Day. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How?! You'll have to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.